You're listening to Comedy Central. September 11, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. is a 16-year-old climate activist who sailed across the Atlantic because she refuses to fly on planes. Greta Thunberg is joining us, everybody! (laughs) Also, on tonight's show, vaping will be illegal. Louis Black is here to save the future, and one of the world's biggest drug dealers is finally paying up. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with some big news out of Washington, because the vaping industry may be about to go up in smoke. President Trump will propose banning all flavored e-cigarettes after the CDC reported at least six people may have died from vaping-related illnesses. Vaping has become a very big business, as I understand it, like a giant business in a very short period of time. But we can't allow people to get sick, and we can't have our youth be so affected, and I'm hearing it, and that's how the first lady got involved. And she's got a son together that is a a beautiful young man, and she feels very, very strongly about it. She's got a son? You mean the son she made with you? How on earth does Trump forget that he has a son? He's like the world's worst dad. It's like him and Darth Vader, you know? (laughs) No, actually, that's wrong. At least Darth Vader claimed his son. If if Trump was the Dark Lord, he would be like, Luke, she is your mother. (laughs) But look, you can't fault Trump for not being super eager to claim responsibility for his son. I mean, the dude has been burned twice. Let's be honest, you know? (laughs) But back to the story, back to the story. The Trump administration is planning to ban all flavored e-cigarettes, which I think is a great move. Because clearly these companies have been targeting kids, right? I mean, just listen to the flavors. Got mango, jelly bean, birthday cake. Those are clearly for kids, right? Adults don't flavor their drugs. Like, I watched Narcos. There was never a moment where someone was like, let me sample your product, man. Oh, yeah, butterscotch, I like it. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) While 10 Democrats are gearing up for tomorrow's third Democratic presidential debate, One candidate who will not be on the stage has figured out a way to have his voice heard. In the race for the White House, presidential candidate Tim Ryan is trying a new approach to reach voters through the music streaming service, Spotify. Ryan released a policy album that people can listen to. It has 10 tracks that include his stand on gun control, immigration, and climate change. It's titled on Spotify, A New and Better Agenda. Okay, okay. Tim Ryan has released a policy album on Spotify? Hey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it might be a good way to connect with voters, but it's gonna mess up somebody's date nights. Yeah, because what if Shuffle is on your Spotify? You have somebody over, you're trying to set a romantic mood, you know, all of a sudden the music's playing, I'll make love to you. Then all of a sudden it's like, and now my policy regarding the capital gains tax. <laughs> actually, wouldn't it be funny if this actually blew up? And then Tim Ryan had to quit politics because now he's the world's biggest music star. (laughs) 
Reporters are like, Tim Ryan, are you gonna be at the next debate? No, man, I'm opening for Cardi B. <laughs> Yeah, just be on stage like, New York, make some noise if you like student loan deferments. <laughs> Finally, let's move on to some news from the worlds of both fast food and technology. McDonald's plans to speed up the drive-through with new technology, announcing Tuesday it acquired Apprente, a Silicon Valley-based startup. It specializes in conversational voice-paced ordering technology. McDonald's said the technology understands different accents and McDonald's expects it to allow for more accurate ordering at the drive-thru. McDonald's and Apprente have already run some demos at McDonald's test restaurants. Yes, McDonald's is gonna use computers to take our orders at the drive-thru because they say the AI is gonna be more efficient. And honestly, I don't know how I feel about robots working in fast food because you can't complain if your order comes out wrong. We're gonna be like, I wanna see the manager! And then the Terminator comes out, yeah? It's like, is there a problem here? It's like, ah, uh, no, sir, I wanted this roach in my fries. But I do appreciate McDonald's trying to speed up service for people with accents. That's a cool thing, you know? The thing is, I don't think accents were the problem at the drive-thru. You know what was slowing it down? Was those picky assholes who wanna choose different things. Be like, can I get a number one, but with no drink and no fries? And instead of the burger, can it be chicken McNuggets? <laughs> You'd be like, that's the number five. Just order the number five. No, I prefer the number one and I amend it, okay? <laughs> I will say this, no matter what, I'm in favor of McDonald's increasing their line efficiency because that means it'll give President Trump more time to spend with his wife's son. All right, <laughs> that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. The opioid crisis. Over the course of two decades, millions of Americans have become addicted to these painkillers. And after years of people demanding that someone be held accountable, the drug companies are finally starting to pay a price. There is word tonight of a settlement involving thousands of lawsuits tied to the opioid crisis. Oxycontin maker Purdue Pharma has reached an agreement with 22 states and about 2,000 local governments over its role in the deadly epidemic. The company will pay up to $12 billion over time, with $3 billion coming from the Sackler family. They own Purdue Pharma and will also give up control of the company. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm torn about this story. You know, yes, I'm happy that the opioid companies will have to pay, but at the same time, they misled sick people about how addictive their drugs were, right? They also lobbied to lift limits on how many opioids doctors could prescribe. And then now that they've made billions of dollars off an epidemic that caused countless deaths, they just get to be like, uh, how about we give you some of that money back and we call it even? I think it's bullshit, I'll be honest. I imagine someone broke into your house, stole a bunch of their stuff, and then when you busted them, they're like, all right, all right, you got me. You got, how about I break you off 100 and we call it even, yeah? <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, that's my wallet. It's like, okay, 120, 120. <laughs> but I get to keep the library card, okay? <laughs> and even though, even though this opioid crisis has been in the news for the past few years, the family who profited most from a lot of this devastation has managed to remain fairly anonymous. But now, we're finally meeting the men behind the curtain. For the first time, we're now seeing and hearing from Dr. Richard Sackler, the former chairman and president of Purdue Pharma, respond to questions under oath. Do you know how much the Sackler family has made off the sale of OxyContin? I don't know. Do you know if it's over $10 billion? I don't think so. Do you know if it's over $5 billion? I don't know. But fair to say it's over a billion dollars? It would be fair to say that, yes. Really? Really, this guy's gonna act like he doesn't know if he made a billion dollars? Get the f out of here, man. 
You see him acting like he's thinking about it. Oh, did I? Yeah, I guess you could say. He's acting like he has to count up all his change. Well, I did get that $10 from grandma. Yeah, I made 150 from the yard sale. Oh yeah, there's a billion dollars from killing thousands of Americans by lying to them about their painkillers. Oh yeah, I almost forgot that part. Oh, and I got the library card. Yeah, the library card. <laughs> and the Sacklers, they, they aren't the only ones facing consequences for their role in fueling the opioid epidemic, right? Everyone's favorite baby shampoo company has also been told it's time to pay up. Yesterday, an Oklahoma judge ruled that opioids ravaged the state and ordered Johnson & Johnson to pay $572 million. The judge said that the company intentionally misled the public about the dangers of its drugs. Johnson & Johnson stock was up as much as 5% since the company was ordered to pay far less than many investors expected. Yeah, you heard that right. Johnson & Johnson's stock actually went up after they were fined $572 million because they expected the punishment to be much worse. They expected the punishment to be worse. Yeah, and that tells you something. It's like a guy coming out of the shower and his girlfriend is like, uh, you've got some explaining to do? I was looking through your phone and who is this puppy you met? <laughs> it is adorable, you know I love puppies, why didn't you tell me? And the guy's like, oh yeah, oh the puppy <laughs> that I'm totally not having sex with, yeah, the puppy. <laughs> so as it stands, these drug companies are gonna pay a bunch of fines, not even admit responsibility, and no one seems to be going to jail, which is insane when you think about it, right? Like, just think about the levels here. Prosecutors want Felicity Huffman to go to jail for cheating in a college admission scandal. They want to go to jail for that. But the people responsible for thousands of American deaths get to walk away with a slap on the wrist. These people are basically very formal drug dealers who are now protected just because they're a corporation. But if you look at someone like El Chapo, what's the major difference, right? Be like, oh, it's more violent, yes, but fundamentally, he's a drug dealer. They were drug dealers. The feds took his money, yeah, and he's spending the rest of his life in prison. So if you think about it, El Chapo really only made one big mistake. He shouldn't have been a drug lord. He should have been the CEO of El Chapo, Inc. <laughs> we'll be right back. When a new story falls through the cracks, Lewis Black catches it for a segment we call Back in Black. Technology, it's everywhere. iPhones, tablets. Here in New York City, we've even replaced our old phone booths with giant screens. And I'll admit it's a lot harder to take a dump in them. But I usually figure it out. <laughs> the point is, no matter where you look, there's a screen. And I think it's great. You know, when I was a kid, all we had to stare at was that thing on my Uncle Harry's neck. It was mesmerizing. But surprise, surprise, the thing we like most is as bad for kids as a weekend at Jeffrey Epstein's. An alarming report that every parent should see. How much screen time doctors say is too much? There's a new danger that doctors are concerned about now. All that screen time is prematurely aging their eyes and the damage could be permanent. A group of doctors say kids use so much tech that they cannot hold a pen or pencil because they lack the hand strength and dexterity. One doctor arguing that all screen time can even turn kids into psychotic junkies. Psychotic junkies? Come on, 
kids are psychotic junkies, with or without phones. Haven't you ever been to a Chuck E. Cheese? Bring out a pepperoni pie and see who doesn't get the shakes. If kids are just becoming crazy now, then why did I get a vasectomy 30 years ago? But apparently kids having too much screen time is a bad thing. So some parents are forcing their children to take a vow of abstinence. Thousands of parents are taking a pledge to wait to give their child a smartphone. More than 20,000 people have signed the wait until eighth pledge, committing to wait until the eighth grade to give their child a smartphone. I saw these kids flooding out at the end of the school day and all of their heads were down and they were completely oblivious to the world around them. That's right, kids. Get off your phone and look at the world around you. You're missing all the hate crimes, pollution, and sweet, sweet death by vaping. Wait till eighth grade to use a phone. Good luck with that. If you don't introduce these kids to technology immediately, they might as well be Amish. If I had a kid, if I had a kid, he wouldn't be out back milking a cow. He'd be shackled in his room, beta testing his new blockchain IPO. I don't know what the I just said, but who cares? I'm gonna be rich. <laughs> Still, I get why regular parents limit screen time. But what really pisses me off is that the parents most worried about the screens are the ones who gave us those screens in the first place. You might think Silicon Valley movers and shakers are consumed by the technology they create, but a growing number of parents in the tech industry are restricting or banning screen time for their kids. Take a look at what some of the people who make those products want their kids to do with them. This private Silicon Valley classroom turns its back on tech. More parents in Silicon Valley are asking nannies to police their child's screen time. In some cases, the addiction is so bad, they're asked to hide the technology altogether and sign a no-phone contract. Oh, hold on a second. So these screens are fine for our kids, but not for yours? These Silicon Valley people don't get to shield their families from the problems they created. In fact, every time they introduce a new brain-zapping gizmo, they should have to test it out on their own brats first. <laughs> hey, kids, Daddy made something that might cause cancer. Could you stare at it for me? <laughs> these, these tech pushers need to stand by their own product. That's why I love the Kool-Aid man. Not only is he Kool-Aid, he carries around an extra jug of Kool-Aid just in case he runs out of himself. Now that's what I call integrity. <laughs> Trevor? Lewis Black, everyone. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an amazing 16-year-old climate activist whose solitary school strike for climate outside the Swedish parliament inspired a global youth movement. She recently sailed from Britain to New York City in a zero-emissions racing boat to participate in the upcoming global climate strike and UN Climate Action Summit. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to The Daily Show, Greta Thunberg.
Welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you so much. And welcome to New York City. You came here on a zero emissions boat. And part of me thinks that's because you love the climate. The other part of me wonders if that's just your Viking heritage. Maybe it is. It might be. Yeah. Tell, tell me why you did that. Why didn't you fly to New York City to come and, you know, speak at the UN and, and you know, inspire people to, to move forward in the climate change movement? I did it because I have, since a few years, stopped flying because of the enormous impact aviation has on the climate. Uh, individually and um, just to make a stand and uh, I am one of the very few people in the world who can actually do such a trip so I thought why not Wow I mean I know I wouldn't do that as a kid and I wouldn't do it now um, <laughs> but what what is inspiring is your determination. And what's inspiring is that it doesn't just affect other young people. It started to affect older generations in Sweden, in Germany. People are starting to call it the Greta effect where people are taking more trains. Since you started this movement, they've said they they feel ashamed to fly unnecessarily in Europe. Your mom is an opera singer and she stopped flying, which means she couldn't perform the way she used to. Do you sometimes feel bad that she can't perform or, or are you more excited that she's not part of I guess, polluting the planets. I don't care, honestly, about how she performs. <laughs> she... <laughs> she... <laughs> she's... She's doing uh, musicals now. So, I mean, it... She had to change career, but it wasn't that big. <laughs> and the planet is the most important thing for you. Yeah, I mean, for all of us, I think it should be. Why... Why do you think... Why do you think young people are so focused on climate change now? There's a definite um, disconnect between older generations and younger generations when talking about the climate. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think it is because we, in a way, feel like it is more a direct threat. Others feel like, I won't be alive then anyway, so screw it. But we... (laughs) But we... We actually know that these consequences will face us during our lifetime, mm-hmm. and it is already happening now, and it will get worse. And uh, so I think that is why so many young people especially care about this. And, uh, and of course, the awareness is not as it needs to be. It's not as much as it needs to be. People are still very unaware, is my experience. and. Um, so we need to continue, but you can see that young, among young people, the concern is bigger. What do you think people need to learn about climate change? Many people have heard of the climate warming up. Some people have a small understanding of what it means, but what do you think is lacking in the understanding of this issue? I think pretty much everything, because, I mean, we know that something is wrong, that the planet is warming because of increased greenhouse gas emissions, and uh, that might lead to that the ice caps will melt and the global temperature will rise and uh, there will be more extreme weather events and so on. But they, they don't understand how severe this crisis actually is. And it is because they have not been informed. 
um, I mean, we are right now in the beginning of the sixth max, mass extinction, and uh, people don't know these things. Up to 200 species go extinct every single day, and uh, people don't even know that we have for a 67% chance of limiting the global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. We had on January 1st, 2018, 420 gigatons of carbon dioxide left to emit to stay within that target. And now we are already down to less than 360. If we continue at the same emission level as now, we have less than eight and a half years until that budget is gone, according to the IPCC the, from the SR15 report. And that is for a 67% chance. Wow. And, um, wow, 67% chance, and we're not even hitting those targets. What do you think people could do, and what do you think governments should be doing? I think people should do, should do everything, but I think right now, if I were to choose one thing everyone would do, it would be to, to inform yourself and to try to understand the situation and try to, to push for a political movement that doesn't exist because the politics needed to, to fix this mm -hmm. doesn't exist today. Um, so I think what we should do as individuals is to use the power of democracy that, to make our voices heard and to make sure that that the people in power actually cannot continue to ignore this. That's powerful. Wow. Do you, do you feel a difference in the conversation traveling from Sweden to um, America? Is, is there a different feeling around climate change? Uh, I would say yes, um, because here it's, it feels like it is being discussed as something you, whether you believe in or not believe in. <laughs> and uh, where I come from, where I come from, it's more like, it's a fact. And <laughs> so then I, I have to ask you this. You sail from Europe to New York City um, New York City is um, quite an assault on the senses um, <laughs> when you come from anywhere else. <laughs> what is the biggest thing that has stuck out to you in New York City? Uh, I mean, just everything. All the impressions, everything is so much, so big, so loud. And uh, <laughs> people talk so loud here. <laughs> and uh, because when you're on that boat, when I was on that boat, there is nothing. There's just the ocean. And uh, of course, the sound of the waves crashing, but that's it. Mm -hmm. No, no smells. <laughs> apart from sweat, but. <laughs> right. So I remember the first thing I noticed when I, when I, when we came into the harbor, was I woke up and suddenly, it smelled something. <laughs> and of course it, it was pollution, but it's still something. And that, and that was, it was in, 
undescribable <laughs> to, to, to go from this extreme environment. You're disconnected from everything and right. everyone. You only have yourself and the ocean and the boats, of course, um, to New York. That is a, an accurate and brilliant description of New York. It is undescribable and it smells. Yeah. I think that is fantastic. I'm excited for your journey. I can't wait to see what else you're gonna do. Thank you for making time for us. Thank the you. next Global Climate Strike will be on Friday, September 20th. To find or register your local strike, go to fridaysforfuture.org. Greta Thunberg, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.